You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to an extra edition of my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount on some excellent coffee. This was an unplanned podcast, but we wanted to give you something extra because so much has been happening. So today, I talked to Washington's new Senior VP of Media and Content, Julie Donaldson. Find out what she thinks about being the first female in the booth in the NFL, What's her role? Get an update on the rest of the booth, including Chris Cooley, and why it's important that Washington hired a female. She is now the highest ranking female executive in the building. I also talked to former Washington safety Matt Bowen, and we go over a lot of things on the football field, what he thinks about some of the young players and more. I spoke to Matt almost a month ago before any name change talk, but because of all the craziness, I had to wait. But we talked real football and dissect several newcomers. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I will have a few stories coming up in the next week, including a fun one late next week on Keith Ishmael. I would also encourage you to listen to my past podcasts, including one earlier this week with Liz Clark from the Washington Post. Liz is always somebody good to talk to. I always appreciate and enjoy her insight. Before I get to Matt Bowen, I just wanted to share a little bit on the name stuff. Redskin, or excuse me, Washington's new chief media marketing officer, Terry Bateman, told me that the colors won't change, which is something I had reported a couple weeks back, but now it's on the record. That's a good thing. I don't know about the gold pants. I had one player say he's glad the colors remain as long as they don't have to wear the gold pants anymore. As you recall, I know some fans actually like them, but the one who really liked them were, was Bruce Allen. So without him here, I'm guessing that's going to change a little bit. Bateman didn't say whether they were close to naming the team or not. I had been told by some people recently that there was a name that Dan Snyder liked, but clearly if that's the case, there was either an issue or they were told to take their time, or they just decided to take it. In some ways, I don't mind the Washington football team aspect, and for this reason, I wonder if it'll help smooth the transition to the new name. There will be a year's gap, so maybe the new one won't feel quite as weird as it would have if they started calling them the Washington whatever's this season. Um, I think I would have preferred the Washington Football Club probably, but I know that's more of a soccer name than anything. But for now, when you've been calling the team one thing for 87 years, maybe having a little gap in between is not the worst thing. Um, I don't know. You guys are the fans. You tell me. I do think that this is the right way to go about it. This decision is too big to take a fast approach. Bateman told me that this is a process that could take a year or so. He said 12 to 18 months. I think that includes the entire process, not just the naming of it, but the branding of it, the trademarks, all those things, the logos, everything. It it does take a while. Anyone I spoke to over the last month always said how hard it would be to pull off. I do think there was a name, again, that Snyder liked, 
that probably ran into a roadblock. We know that Dan Snyder liked the name Warriors. Once upon a time, he tried. He was in the process of trademarking that for a potential Arena League team. I also know that some Native American leaders would have pro- protested that name as well because they would have felt it was too close to what they had just retired. This is a, just a guess, but I, but I'm not. I don't. I think I'm okay on this. That had they been okay with, had those leaders been okay with the name Warriors, I think that's the direction they might have gone. I say might. I cannot say that for sure. Um, because you know, when I asked, I did ask Bateman if they were close to one, and he really didn't say that. He just kept saying there were a lot of options and all that. I do not believe that this delay has anything to do with wanting to wait after last week's story in the Washington Post. So, like I said, it wasn't quite the bombshell news today about the name, but maybe it's a smarter move. I think it's good because now you can get the fans involved, you can get other people involved and make it more of a fun process rather than a rushed one where maybe in the end people are kind of annoyed. They're going to probably be annoyed anyways. But I think you know to, have, to involve fans, alumni, and others will be a good thing. I also think had there been no roadblocks, it's a move that this is the move they could have announced on July 6th when they said they were retiring the name Redskins. Otherwise, you essentially named, you just kind of did the same thing a few weeks later, which tells me, that maybe there was something that they want, a direction they wanted to go, but for whatever reason, they could not. As far as on the field, I was told the other day that they expect all their rookies to be signed by Friday. Then they'll have to wait to see what happens between the NFL and the NFLPA. As far as the veterans, one player I'm curious to see is quarterback Alex Smith. It would not surprise me one bit to hear that he's cleared for early work in camp. The key, though, The big key will be if he's ever cleared for contact. Big difference. I know there was some feeling that it would be difficult at some point in this offseason, be difficult for any doctor to clear him for contact after what he's endured from his injury in November 2018. But early in camp, it'll be much more like a seven-on-seven situation. So I I could see him being cleared for that. I think we, we don't know yet for sure, but I think it would not surprise me at all. I'm also to curious to see what, but again, getting clear for contact is a huge difference. So I'm not confident of that at this point. We'll see. I'm also curious about what happens with Bryce Love. I did not include him for ESPN. We had to do a 53-man roster projection earlier this week. I didn't include him on there because I wonder about his health. I really wonder about his health. And so I'm just, I, I don't, I, I can't, I couldn't put him on there for that reason. Um, we'll see if that plays out that way. But, uh, you know, I think there was definitely, I think there's some people in that building who are wondering about that as well. So we'll see. It would be a big help if he could if he could go out there and play because he has some really good skills that I liked watching in college. Finally, I was told last week that right tackle Morgan Moses is down to about 315 pounds. That's, three, that's 315. If that's the case, that's probably the lightest he's coming to camp that he's been in, uh, that he's reported in for a while. I, I, they haven't reported yet, but if he reports it that weight, I would guess that's one of the lighter weights he's reported at. In the past, he'd often show up around 335 after hovering around 350 for a lot of the offseason. So this certainly represents a positive change for him. He hasn't played as well the last couple of years. I felt like he finished okay last year, but he certainly hasn't played to what people had hoped he would the last couple years in total. So this that's a good thing for him to, to, to trim down like that. 
Now, let's see how it translates on the field. Those are my thoughts for this week. And now, here's my conversation with ESPN NFL analyst, Matt Bowen. I do want to ask you to start off with this. As a player, would you be comfortable playing in this current situation with this pandemic? You know, we're a month or so from training camps being open. I think as a player, I'd have questions, uh, but I'd also have to put my trust into the players union first. Right. And then into the the team trainers, the team doctors um, to get to a point where you feel comfortable in, in terms of the procedures that are going to take place. Um, to put you in a healthy environment and <clears throat> to keep you safe and protected um, throughout the season. But in terms of wanting to play, yes, I would want to play. There's no question I'd want to play. Right. But I think those steps have to be taken care of first. And, look, the NFL has got a great union. Um, and I'm sure those <laughs> that's being discussed right now. And I'm sure every team in the National Football League right now is doing their best uh, to put their players in a position where their health and safety um, are a priority. Uh, and that's – if that was, if those restrictions were made, and those and the process went through, and every player felt comfortable, then yes, I would want to play. What what point do you think it's going to be for? Like, well, I guess you can't. It's hard to speak for every player, but for you, like, let's say it opens up, and how many positive tests would it take to say, wait a minute, what are we doing here? I don't even know if there's a number you can put on it. Yeah, I don't either. And, and that's the question for every level of football right now. I, you know, I, I really don't know, Jock. I really yeah. don't. Um, I, I'm sure the more multiple tests you have within your building, yeah, it's going to make you think twice as a player. There's no question about it. I mean, if you're playing one of the teams and you get 15-plus positive tests, well, sure, there's going to be some concern. Sure. But then how do you handle the positive tests? That, that's the next step to this. How do you handle the positive tests? What are the steps uh, done want to make sure the player is, is, is being treated correctly? And when is the player allowed to be, come back? What is done to the facility after all these positive tests? And what, and what precautions are you taking um, from a practice environment? Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things that go into us, and I know this firsthand from being a coach at the high school level. And right. it, it is very challenging right now. It is very challenging right now to teach the game of football. Um, I know in the state of Illinois – we're only allowed groups of 10 or less, and it's only strength and conditioning. You cannot use a football. Um, so that's what it is. It's strength and speed work. That's all we're at. That's the only stage we're at right now in the state of Illinois um, for high school football. And, you know, we don't know what the next stage is going to be. Um, but I'll tell you this, as a coach, you need time to train players. You need time right. to teach players. You need time to block and tackle. Um, so – that, that's my concern going into the season, especially the lower levels when we don't have testing like professional right. athletes. Um, you need a training camp uh, just for the health and safety of the players outside of COVID. You need a, a tra- training camp for the health and safety of the players for the right. game of football um, to learn how to use your gear, to learn how to tackle correctly. All those things that go into playing the game of football and, you know, to build a football team. You have to hit, John. You have right. to. So those, those are the questions moving forward um, for us. And I'm sure the NFL has a lot of the same questions because you have players who have not been in a football environment all offseason. You know, from a training perspective, I would worry about soft tissue injuries. I right. worry about older players um, in terms of Achilles. 
so there's a lot of things that go into it um, right. because you can the, the game of football to prepare for it, you have to play it. You have to play it, and to play it, you have to have gear on. So uh-huh. what that's that's the next step we need to get to at every level is when our players, professional or amateurs, uh, allowed to be put back in football gear and allowed to practice right at, um, full speed and uh, almost a game tempo like situation because that's what it's going to take to get uh, to game days. I also wonder, Matt, too, the impact on guys who are undrafted free agents, lower round guys. Right. Will they have enough time to make? Because you and it's always fun to have the stories coming out of camp about the undrafted guy who makes it. You know, every team's going to mm-hmm. have one of those. How hard will it be for them? Do you think in this in this situation to make the mark that they would need to to make a roster? Assuming like you know, maybe that the rosters are expanded. Who knows? But. The way it stands right. now, it's 53. How hard will it be on guys like that, do you think? Well, it's very hard because you miss just the simple, you know, OTA practices, mini camps. You make a couple of plays in mini camp, well, yeah, <laughs> you're going to stand out, right? Okay, so what's right. the next step? We have an undrafted free agent, or let's say we have a six-round pick like I was with the St. Louis Rams. You make a couple of plays in OTAs. You show you can do alignment and assignment correctly in mini camp. You can match up to NFL speed. That's all great. Now the next step is getting you in pads, right. going through training camp, going through the preseason schedule. It's all a process to making a team. No one makes a team in OTAs. Look, I played with a lot of guys that were mini-camp All-Americans. Right. You put the pads on and they, they disappear, right? That's, it's right. part of the process, though. It's part of the process. And it's going to be challenging. And plus, you, know, you don't really know what training camp is going to be like. You know, how many padded practices are going to be allowed? Um, what are the restrictions because of COVID? There's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, I'll be honest, John. I I was drafted in 2000 as a six-round pick of the St. Louis Rams. And I had full offseason. We had two-a-days for four weeks in Macomb at Western Illinois University. I needed every single day. Right. Trust me, I went out to the first time against, you know, it was the greatest show on turf. It it, it was an offense loaded with Hall of Fame players. Right. And I saw Isaac Bruce run a post route. I'd never seen anything like that. (laughs) You know, at that type of top speed. You know, that fluid of a route runner, uh, the body control, the burst, the separation. I've never seen anything like that. And that's coming from the Big Ten. It's a pretty good football conference. Right. So you need the time just to get acclimated to what NFL talent is really like. And that takes – that's, again, part of the process. And you get that on the practice field a lot of times against your own teammates. And then, you know, then you make the transition to preseason. The game speed increases even more. Um Again, the, the entire process has been, uh, you know, halted, uh, so to say, right now. So, I mean, it, it's going to be tough for, you know, guys in the front office, your pro personnel department, um, and your coaching staff when it comes down to final cuts. There's going to be some guys that get cut that might get picked up and have a seven, eight-year career with another team um, because they get more of an opportunity there. They didn't get the opportunity because of the current situation of football right now. And that that was something like, like I said, that has been something I've been thinking about because guys like even last year, the Redskins had a player, Steven Sims, and he was able to slowly, you know, he made his mark with some things, but they needed to see more. You know, average fan might see, oh, he's got this speed or quickness. They need to see more consistency in some things, but having a, you know, a regular offseason, regular training camp allowed him to do that. Now, I am curious from his, on him. From your perspective, you're a fantasy guy, fantasy football guy. Mm-hmm. What, what is, do you have a take on Steven Sims? Like what you saw at the end of last year, maybe what you're expecting 
out of him this year? Well, he's got – I mean, he brings some juice to the field. There's no question about it. He's got explosive playability. And if I was coaching him, how I would scheme him up, a lot of deep crossers, a lot of deep overs, <clears throat> get him the ball in space where, you know, the run after the catch ability. You're always going to take your vertical shots outside, your fades. You can put them inside, run the slot fade, but also underneath the shallow crossers. Get him the ball in wide receiver screens. The question for fantasy, John, is always volume. That's the first thing you start with. How many right. targets does he get? Does he get him at a consistent rate? Is it more of a guy that's a better fit for what I call a non-PPR league, where it's not? It's more about just yards and touchdowns. You know, those are more where you get right. guys who have that explosive bay ability that can get you two catches for sixty-five yards and a touchdown. Hey, that, that's a great thing to have in your in your in your fantasy right. lineup. But from a PPR standpoint, um, I don't know that he's going to get the consistent amount of volume. Um, from a fantasy football perspective. But if we're talking about real football on the field on Sundays, yep, let's talk about the role. And, yeah. you, and you got to scheme him up because I went back and watched <clears throat> when we talked last week about what we want to discuss here. I went back and watched Haskins, watched Sims, and what I think the offense is going to be like because we don't really know yet. No one knows. Right. We haven't seen Washington on the field in any sense. So a lot of this is speculation. That's the thing going on right now, you know, from my perspective and your perspective. John, in our business, it's a lot of speculation right now. Uh, yeah. You can talk to any team that's got a new coach or a new coordinator, new personnel. And we know there's been a huge discussion about Tom Brady in, in Tampa. We haven't seen Tom Brady take a snap in Tampa. Not one. Right. You know, we don't know if they're going to be heavy to tight end personnel. We think we, they are, right? We think. But we don't really know that yet. So there's a lot of speculation right now. So what you can do is just go back off the tape from last year see where young players like a Haskins needs to mature as in terms of his position and how that fits into an offense you think you're going to see on Sundays. And and that's, that's what we don't know. And the hard part too, for with a guy like Haskins, everything I've heard about him this off season has been really good. I mean, I'm, I don't know how much you've seen the videos of his work and what I've not just what I've seen the videos, but what I've heard from people who work with him, it's all been really good. It's hard to know where that's going to go this season because it's so such a crazy offseason for him, for everybody, but for a young quarterback. But I'm curious what you thought of him at the end of the year. And then I don't know if you've seen what he's been doing this offseason, but like, you know, what do you what did you what was your take and what would you want to see more from him going forward? OK, <clears throat> well, I think when you start with Dwayne Haskins, to me, he's your classic Big Ten quarterback. He's got size. He's got arm talent. He's a pocket thrower. That's what I think he is. You know, yeah. Dwayne Haskins does not have elite movement traits. Okay, so he's not going to give you a ton of second reaction ability. When I use the term second reaction ability, John, I'm talking about guys that can create when things go south. Right. Okay, guys that can escape and get outside of the pocket. You know, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz is in that discussion now, Deshaun Watson, Dak, guys that have that second reaction ability to make more off-schedule plays. But <clears> – <throat> Going off of that, his second reaction ability to me has to come inside the pocket. Right. Where he becomes a master of the pocket, where he can maneuver, slide, step up, throw a shoulder forward, find a throwing lane, find a slice of daylight to step up and throw that deep end break. Okay, and you saw signs of that last year. He made a throw against Carolina last year. I thought it was one of his best throws of the season. Gets pressure, steps up, hits the dig route in the backside of the formation. Okay, you see signs of that. The arm talent is always going to jump. Right. Okay, and I think – you. If you go back to college, when he was at Ohio State, the arm talent was very important because at the college level, you can be late. You right. can be late on throws. 
and you have that elite arm talent, you're going to get away with it every single time, especially at Ohio State, especially at Ohio State when you're throwing NFL wide receivers in terms of their skills and athleticism. Um, I think he's at his best when you scheme throws for him. What I mean by that, throw the bang eight, which is a skinny post. Throw the deep in breakers. Throw the crossers. The crossers, that goes back to the Michigan game a couple years ago, John. It goes back to the Michigan game a couple years ago. Keep going, Matt. I like this. (laughs) That goes back to the Michigan game a couple years ago. Um, Where he can get get in trouble still is doesn't tie it all together. Lean too much in the arm talent. Okay? You see throws um, that get knocked away or – and get picked off from last year on the film where it's all arm, right? It's all arm, whether he's got right. someone on his face or whether he does it. Now, if you tie that all together, and again, that's a progression of a young quarterback. Sure. That's a, that's a young quarterback learning what he can do and what he can't do. That's why you play him as a rookie. All right. those reps he took last year are so valuable to his development, are so valuable to his development. Because you got to go out there and make mistakes. You got to say, what can I do? What can I get away with? What do I have to improve? I still think at this point he's a see it, throw it quarterback what i mean by that he needs to develop more anticipatory ability right now he wants to wait for that window to open and he wants to drive the ball and i'm telling you john when that window's open he can drive the ball anywhere on the field he can yeah. attack all three levels with that arm talent. what he has to progress to is anticipating that window being open ball come out a little bit quicker okay so if you are the new coaching staff and scott turner the new offense coordinator in washington what are you going to try to do a lot of heavy play action Okay, heavy yep. play action where you can rip the ball in the middle of the field, whether it's the seam, the bang eight, the deep dig, or the deep crosser. That goes back to Sims, what we were just talking about. Those are schemed up throws. You want to use the quick game where you can get out under center or in the gun and go one to two with speed. Go to your first read. It's not there. Go to your second read. Ball has to come out now. Has to come out now. Are you going to scheme vertical shots down the field? I think you could use more boot movement. Okay, I, I said he doesn't have elite movement traits. You know, elite movement trades are talking about Russell Wilson, right? Patrick right. Mahomes, Rodgers. You can still get him outside and boot and play action, but especially boot. Give him three-level reads off of boot. Use the running backs in the passing game. I'm very interested to see how they scheme up Gibson. Very interested. Yeah, me too. You know, we're talking about fantasy. You know, <laughs> if you're drafting for fantasy with Washington, uh, that's the running back I'm going to take. I'm going to take him late and later rounds because I think they're going to scheme him up. You can use them out of the backfield on angle routes, flat routes. You can get them loose on fly sweeps. Uh, you could use them in the screen game. I think you could put them in the slot. I think there's a lot of things you could do. But you want him with Haskins this year, you want him to get the ball out quickly in the quick game and get it to guys who can create in space. That's Gibson. That's Sims right there. Guys yeah. can make plays for you on high percentage throws. But in <laughs> terms of the, the, the traits, John, I mean, they're the same traits we're talking about why he was drafted in the first round. Right. You know, it's the pocket ability. It's the arm talent. It's the ability to attack all three levels of the field. That's what you want in the quarterback. Now, the next step is just mastering that pocket. And, again, he's not going to master the pocket immediately this season. This is a progression at the position. But becoming better in the pocket, tying the arm talent, that elite arm talent, which he does have, to his lower body mechanics. Okay, that's going to make the ball come out with more speed. As he's going to be more accurate of a thrower. He's going to be able to win with more ball location, depending on defense's leverages or his attacking man or his own coverage. Um, and, look, he can stand there and rip the ball, but you want him to step through the ball. You right. want him to get to a point. I said this last year about Ryan Tannehill. Okay, last year, Ryan Tannehill was in a heavily schemed offense. And Ryan Tannehill played great football at the end of the season. 
because he had defined reads. He had clear reads. He knew where he was going with the football off of play action. And he was throwing the ball through his targets. That's how confident he was throwing. He was like a relief pitcher coming out of the bullpen, throwing 100 miles an hour. That's what he looked like at the end of the season. That I know where I'm going with the football. And I'm going to drive this ball to the upfield shoulder. I'm going to put heat on it. If there's a tight window, I'm going to split that window in half. And that's what you want Haskins to get to. And you can help him, obviously, through coaching. We understand that with fundamentals and technique, that's never going to change in the game of football. Whether we're talking about the kids I coach at the high school level or the professional athletes. But all, once those fundamentals start to improve and become more consistent, then you start to scheme him up more. Okay, and you give him more defined reads. Look, I'm writing a piece this week, John, at ESPN on Baker Mayfield with Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota. There's a lot of defined reads in there. <laughs> That's what they are. You look at Kirk Cousins did last year in Minnesota. It's heavy play action. It's heavy boot. It's get outside the pocket off a of boot. It's come off the play action inside the pocket, hit that back foot, see it, trust it, throw it. That's what it is. Okay, we're, let's not make this more complicated than it needs to be, really. You're teaching your quarterback, I'm going to give you one to two, okay? It's going to be level reads off of play action. You read that linebacker. That linebacker sits short, you throw it right past his ear hole, and you drive the ball to the deep end break. And that can be your passing game. Supplement it with a running game. Supplement it with some creativity with a guy like Gibson, okay? And with McLaurin, who's, you know, right now, I mean, you want to talk about impressive, yeah, I wanted to ask you, know, John, about him. you and I. Yeah, we talked during the draft process. Remember when yeah. I, I think we talked about a guy like Jerry Judy? You know, I don't remember what Jerry Judy ran in the 40. I have no idea what McLaurin ran in the 40. I don't care. It's like I watch the film and they get open. John, just give me guys who get open. We're talking right. about the National Football League on Sundays. You want guys who can separate. You go back to the, the, the Detroit game when McLaurin was matched up against Darius Slay. And I have a ton of respect for Darius Slay in terms of his ability and man coverage. And Detroit plays man coverage almost more than anyone in the National Football League outside of New England. And McLaurin was beating him on crossers. Why? Because he was setting him up, creating enough separation, you know, against a you know a top 10 cornerback. And that's what he does. He, he can set up defensive backs, create separation, whether you're running crossers, running isolation routes outside the numbers, running deep curls off the action we can push the corner and the safety down the field stop on a dime turn around and there's separation there and an open target for Dwayne Haskins so that you need that to your offense as well you need a guy who can win one-on-ones you're always going to need that because right. you can scheme up but we John we can talk about scheme forever you know eventually it's going to come down to players and players need to win one-on-ones and that's a guy that can win one-on-ones for a young quarterback and I am super impressed with him just because of the traits he has as a route runner and again <clears throat> I don't know his measurables Offhand, I don't know what his combine numbers were. I don't care. I, I really don't because I could watch the film and say that kid is a football player. Well, you know, you know what else, Matt, with him is what I like, and he is he has great, he has really good, he had good measurables in terms of his speed and all that. But mm. everybody you talk to in that locker room, when you talk about McLaurin, it's about the approach he takes, you know, asking for more information. He'll pick the brains all the time of the defensive backs he goes against about, you know, I would, he'll talk to the other guys in the offense about various things. He's always trying to learn. And even in that game against Slay, I remember talking to him afterwards, and he talked about his approach during the game. It's like he realized the way Slay was playing him. He couldn't get off the line a certain way, so he had to switch it up. But he did set him up to get to that point as well. So he's got a mature approach, which I think translates very well for a long, successful career. Right, and those are guys you want to coach. Those, those, that, that, that fits the exact profile of a guy you want to coach. 
yeah. guy who wants to learn, a guy who wants to develop, a guy who wants to learn from his mistakes, and a guy who makes in-game adjustments. We don't talk about that enough. I mean, we don't, John, in our business. Right. In-game adjustments. It's not just coaches. I mean, it's players as well. It comes from yourself scouting, your opponent scouting, but also understand going into that game, you might get something you've never seen before. Or you might struggle in an area, like you're talking about with McLaurin, struggling to get off the line of scrimmage. You have to adapt. Because if you don't adapt against a guy like Darius Slay, you're not getting the football. Right. Simple as that. You're not going to get the ball. So that speaks, one, to his football intelligence, um, his awareness, and his drive to compete, really. I mean, you get those three together with the athletic measurables, with the route running traits, now you got a really good football player you're working with. Is the, with Gibson at running back, and you know, you said that would be the fantasy guy you take, is that as much because you think what he can do? Or are you afraid of what Darius Geis – the health situation would be? No, you know, from a fantasy perspective, I just think anytime you have a team that has so many, is so deep at the running back position, right, that guys are going to split carries. Again, right. this is volume. I, look, I like guys a, a lot coming out of LSU. Just because he had an NFL. What I look for in running backs, John, is do they have an NFL running style? We know right. Adrian Peterson has that. We, we already know that. Sure. Um, but with guys, a younger player, and obviously he's had injuries, which you cannot predict. No one can predict that. But in terms of going back to his college film, I mean, he, he runs with square pads. He runs with low pad level. He's got great leg drive. He's got enough wiggle. But really, he will look to, to finish you with the ball in his hands. He's a violent runner who can get from A to B quickly. Again, with running backs, I don't look at the 40-time ever. How fast can you get from 0 to 10? That's all I care about, 0 to 10. Most big runs in the NFL are 40 yards. Right. And then the guy gets, the guy gets tackled. There's a couple guys, you know, McCaffrey, Saquon, Zeke, and guys like that are going to bust bigger runs. But most of the time, it's 40 yards. That's a, that's a huge play in the National Football League when you're talking about the run game perspective. So I always look at running backs as, are they physical? Are they violent at the point of attack? Do they have the footwork to shake a defender in the hole? And do they have the power to run through a defender in the hole? Because so we do all these plays at matchup, on the matchup show every week. And the one thing you notice is the running back is always responsible for an unblocked defender. Right. No matter what the scheme is, outside zone, inside zone, power, toss, there's always going to be an unblocked defender. You can't block everybody, especially when teams are rolling a safety down. So usually that safety is the responsibility of the running back. And if it's going to be more than a four-yard carry, you got to make a miss. we got to run right through him. I think Geis has that ability. The problem is, is his availability right now. Right. And, look, I experienced that as a player in the National Football League too. You get hurt, you get passed up. You get hurt, you miss opportunities. So you hope he's healthy this year. Do I think he could be the number one? Of course I do. But from a fantasy perspective, when you still have Adrian Peterson there, who can still get you carries, can still carry heavy volume, can still score in the tight red zone area of the field, can still protect in the, you know, in the pass protection game. You know, so you're going to have a lot of different players that make up that number one role. That's why I look at Gibson as a guy who's unique because I think he's got the pass game traits. You know, and you're going to scheme specifically to get him the football. We're going to have to see early again, like we just talked about. Gibson has some practice, not once. You know, so that, you know, where's his development at? How quickly does he develop? You know, how does he handle pass protection responsibilities? Because if you can't do that, you're not going to play. Right. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns there. But in terms of the traits, explosive playability, and the versatility he gives you almost as a multi-dimensional running back in today's NFL, that's a guy you draft late in fantasy and from a <clears throat> real live football perspective on Sunday, that's the guy you scheme up and you have to remind yourself as a coach throughout the game, I got to get him the football. You, you, you have to put a note in the game plan. You got to. 
Another guy, I have two more guys. I only got a couple minutes. So, like, two guys quickly. Um, Antonio Gandy-Golden, the receiver they took in the fourth round. What, do you have any thoughts on him? I'm wondering if he could be the backside X when you go three-by-one formations. You go three-by-one to the field. In the NFL, it's a little different because the hashes are tighter. But three-by-one to the field, who's your backside X receiver? Who's your ISO receiver? Can run slant, can run fade, can run vertical, can run the deep dig, can run the skinny post. Because – when I watched his tape in college, excellent ball skills at the point of attack. He can go up at high point. He, can, he has the body control. He can make plays outside his frame. I don't think he has the long speed to consistently threaten the top of the secondary. That's, that's fine. What you do is you, make, you want that sweet spot for him to be about 12 to 15 yards. Running deep curls, running deep comebacks. Those are isolation routes. You know, and using his body frame and his catch radius to make plays. Then when you get inside the plus 20, you want him to be a viable target for Haskins. Again, you can scheme open. You can scheme one-on-ones based on formation or pre-snap movement. But you want him to be a guy as a rookie that has red zone upside and has critical down and distance situation upside. And usually for me, that's third and seven to ten. Right. Okay, that's a guy you want to scheme open there and use those traits to make plays for your offense. Chase Young, what do you, what do you anticipate the impact there? You know, a guy like Chase Young, um, I'll be honest, you, you expect an impact like Nick Bosa had. As a rookie, right. nothing less. Anything less, I think you'd be disappointed, right? Right. Anything, anything less, you'd be disappointed. Based on it, look, what I think I had a good discussion before the draft on the, you know, the the comparison between Nick Bosa and Chase Young. I think Nick Bosa is a little bit more developed in terms of his technique. Okay, uh, you look at Joey Bosa too when he came to the league. Their hands are excellent, Sean. They're excellent. They're so well schooled with their hands. Okay, but Chase Young has more athletic upside than both of them. There's no question about it in terms of the athletic traits. And again, Chase Young didn't test at the combine. Who cares? Watch the film. Watch the film. You could turn on the film all year and see he's got twitch off the ball. He's got bend. He's got flexibility. He can win with power. He can win with speed. And he can disrupt the football at the point of attack. He should be a very disruptive player for you. And a front seven that I think in Washington is really, really good. So he fits in there well. And, you know, again, Without having an offseason, don't know what training camp is like. He might be a situational rusher the first month of the season. That's fine. You drafted him to make plays for you in passing situations. That's what you drafted him for, to impact the pocket, to be disruptive, to command respect coming off the edge. It was also going to allow you to scheme up front. I'm very interested to see, considering the amount of pass rushers you have now in Washington, if you scheme more up front. We did a lot in the 49ers this year, John. They were great. I love watching them. Yeah, and, you know, they're not very complex in terms of coverage. You know, a lot of cover three, right. some single high man, some split safety quarters. What they did is they schemed very well up front. Yep. Whether it was creating a five-man front with a linebacker walked up or using their four-man fronts, tilted fronts. We got three guys lined on one side. And what they would do is twist and stunt everybody. You'd have Nick Bosa line a defensive tackle. You'd have Buckner at end. You'd have D Ford inside. You'd have linebacker Fred Warner mugged up as an A-gap rusher. And what you're doing it's trying to create one-on-ones. You're trying to occupy blockers. So if you can occupy blockers, you can create one-on-ones for Chase Young. I don't care what the protection scheme is. Yep. I don't care because you can occupy guys with twist stunts and crashing the guards, get guys looping around, and now you're going to force the quarterback to bail outside. When he bails outside, Chase Young is right there. So I wonder if Washington will do that And you know, because everyone studies right. the teams in the Super Bowl. So if I'm a coach, I'm watching that San Francisco defensive line saying, you know, we got pretty good personnel here in Washington, too. I'll start scheming guys up because then allows you 
I don't want to say to play safe coverage, but to play more of your core coverages on third down where you can play quarters. You can play cover two. Play whatever you want. Doesn't matter. You're going to be safe in the secondary, keep the ball in front of you, drive top down because you know it has to come out quickly. But in terms of, you know, roundabout way of answering it, you know, Chase, Chase Young should be an impact player as a rookie. He has the traits to do it. There's no question about it. And, and I'm Matt, I'm with you. Like I, I looked at the Niners, the way they use their front. I thought there's no reason why you can't do that here because you can make them more dangerous. So and then we'll see. Well, it'll be interesting to watch how this all plays out because it's such a unique offseason. We have no clue how it's going to impact a team like this and young players like this. So be curious to watch. Hey, listen, I always appreciate you joining me. I always learn and I hope people I know people will learn listening to you. So I appreciate you coming on, man. Well, thank you very much, John. After this break, I'll be back with Julie Donaldson, Washington's new Senior VP of Media and Content. She's looking for a play-by-play announcer and an analyst. I asked about some who held those roles, like Chris Cooley. A couple months ago, I stopped into a store for a sandwich, but it was the smell of the coffee that knocked me over. That's when I fell in love with Lone Oak Coffee. I bought some of their Mexican blend and was happy for the rest of the week. Lone Oak is a small specialty-based coffee roaster company in Winchester, Virginia. They finished ninth in the nation in the U.S. Coffee Roasting Championships in 2017. They have received many awards for their house blend at the world's largest coffee roasting competition. Here's what I love about Lone Oak. They dial in each coffee to fit its best profile, bringing out the natural nuances and highlighting interesting flavors. I'm drinking their Brazilian blend now with a mix of nutty and almond flavors. They have coffees from all over the world. I love their smooth Colombian with hints of cocoa and caramel apple. Go to LoneOakCoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. And when you order, use the code COFFEE2020. That's COFFEE2020. You will receive a 5% discount with free shipping on any orders over $25. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Now I'm joined by Julie Donaldson, the new senior at senior VP of content, and you're, you're in charge of the the broadcast operations. Congratulations, Julie! Thanks for joining me. Um, first, I want to ask you. First of all, I told you this too, but it's gonna you know, you're you're such a good person, and you you do you're very good at what you do. So I think this will be. It's been it's nice to see you be elevated to to a position like this. So I'm curious, what attracted you? this job you know it, it's pretty cool because it is it's it's a new title senior vice president of media and content uh and with that goes a okay. lot of work i, I, I left mean, out I, the media part sorry about that no worries no you know that's the whole thing it's like it's, we're adjusting to so much on the fly here um and, and it's new john as you know like we i've spent years going into this park but going into the door through the media and just having to learn right. the office in a different way and we've always known the crew that works here and the people that work in the building but getting to know them on a different level and and getting to know everybody else that does a lot of work behind the scenes that we didn't have access to so it, it's a it's a learning adjustment just just in the basics of that you know i automatically just want to go right and now i have to go left in the building um, right. but the really cool thing about it is look, I mean, John, we've been spending countless hours and days out there covering this team. So, you know, I, right. I know the team and, and here's a really cool thing that I'll, I'll just be able to do with it is I'll be able to have access to tell some really compelling stories. And you know what, I'm not going to have to sit there and, and go through all the different barriers that, you know, we do to try and get to that. <laughs> right. So when yeah. 
That is true. And, and you know how hard that is to be able to get their time. Um, yeah. So to me, it was, yeah. you know, people ask about adjusting the journalistic approach and all honesty, to me, I'll be able to do even things um, more journalistically that I wanted to do um, and that I wasn't able to do because of the access, you know, and, and they've got a really cool guy here, uh, Marcus Stevenson. He is so bright and so creative and he is turning around the digital and now he's going to help me turn around the seven linear shows that we have to do a week plus the broadcast, wow. you know, so, so we're busy. There's a lot going on, but that senior VP of media and content, having that seat at the executive table. I think that is so important, John, because as we know, the, the, everything that's going on around here, th they need to be able to try and get things going in the right direction. People in this building want that to happen. I wouldn't have taken this job had I not right. talked to as many people as I could and said, can this happen? Will it happen? Do we want this to happen? And and I, I, I believe that everybody here is hungry for this to be a place that they are proud to work for. And I'm excited to be able to help that come about. Julie, was there a conversation you had with somebody that convinced you that yes, what you want to do can be accomplished. You know, so when it first came about, of course, everything was extremely confidential. And, you know, I think some people were wanting to get reactions for me on Twitter of everything that was going on. And I just, I had to step back because I, I had to take this job with all seriousness. Um, you know, right. we fully understand anybody in the media that covers this team on a daily basis. We, you know, it's not like you're coming in naive to what the situation is. So yeah, John, I had a lot of conversations. I had a lot of conversations with friends that, um, you know, are in position of power and a position of respect within the league, um, within the NFLPA, uh, within the business, with people that have worked for the team side um, that hold the same position of senior vice presidents for different franchises, what is expected from that role. Um, and I talked to people within the building, you know, and, and I talked to Nancy Hubacher. She's been here for 21 years. Mm. And we had some very right. real candid conversations on what's been going on and how can we, you know, can this be fixed? And if, if I didn't believe um, that there's something that can be turned around and if I didn't get the answers from those people and look, a, a lot of them too were very real. They said, look, this is what you're getting into and you need to be fully aware. You need right. to, you know, make sure that, you know, that your radar is up on what it is. Um, that I wouldn't have taken this job, John. I, I was fine what I was doing. I loved working at NBC Sports Washington. Right. I had a great position. I didn't need this if it wasn't something that I believe I could actually come in, do well, and, and make an impact with. And you also talked to Tanya Snyder a few times too, correct? I have, yes. What were those, yeah, and what were those conversations like and what, what were you able to glean from her that, again, helped you convince that, that this could be changed? You know, I've known it could be a good situation. Right. I've, I've known Tanya Snyder since I first got here because I've been involved in their WOW, the Women of Washington organization right. from the very early on days. So her and I have done a lot of events over the years together. So we're quite familiar with each other. And through that, I've also known just how genuine she is about the work she does, about the community, about making sure that that's, that's important for her and this franchise to have that representation. Um, so when we had that conversation, it was with her and Dan, her and Dan, uh, you know, and I she was very clear to say, you know what, she was she was horrified. Uh, she was just horrified. And every woman in this building was just horrified about what was going on, you know, and it's this dark mm -hmm. cloud over it. And she wants to be able to have people be proud of this organization, same as she. She wants to be able to go out there and do her work without having to explain everything that's going on. Um, right. You know, and, and Dan says, look, we've got to go. This, we've got to get this in the right direction. You know, he said, I'm bringing you on. I want you to, you know, to be innovative, to be creative, to engage the fans, to make this exciting, to get them proud, to to tune in. You know, I mean, we're going to be streaming. So while it is radio, you know, nowadays, you know, John, people are picking up their phones and watching it and consuming it there, right. you know, wherever they're at. Um, so we're going to be able to be that avenue for them. And, and it's it's going to be fun. You know, they were clear to, to me to say, 
I have their full support. Um, and we, we know how important that is as well um, going forward. So, and there's gonna be many more conversations to be had. I mean, um, I'm looking forward to getting down on the ground level with Tanya um, and, and hopefully maybe even Stephanie Rivera and say, okay, like mm -hmm. as leaders in this organization, what can we do to make sure that, that this is not just talk, it's not just cosmetic, but it's actually something we can implement. And what, what can you do to, to help? Because obviously the word culture has been a big buzzword for a while now here. How can you help change it? I know one person alone is not going to do it. It's, it's, it's much more beyond that. So I don't want to put all that burden on Julie Donaldson. But you now are in the building. You are now the highest ranking female executive there. So you do have the ability to help maybe implement more change. What can you do to help with that? I think the first thing you have to do is you have to listen, you know, I mean, and it, it, it's hard to try and get to even meet people because right now you see Corona has everything kind of locked down so many different protocols. Right. So the building's not just open to walk around and say hi to people like it used to, right. um, you know, so, but, but I will be meeting everyone as I go through and, you know, coming up, we will have executive um, leadership meetings and I'll get to know everybody on those boards and, and within, within the organization. And the big thing we want to do, and I was talking with Nancy about this well, so I just want to, I just want to listen, like, you know, I'm new in this and you can't come in and just, say right. that I'm going to wave a magic wand and change that. That just doesn't happen at all. You know, I want to get to know the people here and what concerns they have. We want to be able to bring the women together and into a safe environment and say, hey, let's have an open discussion about this. And then we want to be able to say, okay, now can we tell our male counterparts, you know, where we come from, what we stand, what we want, and right. help educate them on that. And I think when you get just those basic conversations started, John, then, you know, people might not be aware of everything somebody else is going through. Um, and if you right. don't have those conversations then you get further into it and, you know, they've been having already a lot of town halls where they said, look, I've been working alongside with some of these gentlemen and I had no clue what they experienced through this whole Black Lives Matter and what they have to do as, as men to be able to teach right. their sons the right way to be safe. And so I think by that, just being able to get those stories, share those stories and get this team to really kind of understand where each is coming from then it can be a little bit more inclusive. And then we can understand where the boundaries are, where the line is to say, okay, we want it to be a fun environment. We want to be able to joke around and have fun with each other, but there is a line that you don't cross because then it becomes disrespectful. And I think that's kind of where you start. And for you, you know, this is, what does it feel like when you hear highest ranking female executive, first female in a broadcast booth on our team? What is that? I, I I obviously can't imagine what that feels like. So tell me, what does that feel like? That's, is it awesome? Is it, you know, what it, what it comes with that? In all honesty, John, it, it, it doesn't really change a lot for myself. Um, I, I, cause I feel like it's just still me. It's just Julie, you know, I still feel like the same, right. the same girl that will, and I, and I hope I stay that way, you know, so you have freedom and, and everybody else that I've worked with for years has the freedom to check me for some reason. I get any way, um, far away from who I am just as Julie, you know, and that's what I was brought in here to do. And I've been given full support from this staff. And, and again, everyone I talk to is like, what can we do to support you to make sure you succeed? I haven't been asked to change anything that I do on social media. I haven't been asked to change anything that I do in how I present myself. They go, that's why we wanted you. So we want you to just go for it and right. do that. And head coach Ron Rivera in my conversations with him were very straightforward too. He said, look, you are hired for you. So just stay true to that and you're going to succeed. Yeah. The whole first thing, um, it's pretty cool because when they told me that, I'm like, you just put my name in the same conversation, the same sentence as Leslie Visser, you know, and, and she's an wow. idol yeah. to women in this business. She's somebody yeah, we, we look up to. And to me, you know, I don't really grasp it that way. I understand the magnitude of this by all means. I understand the importance, the power that this has. Um, but again, to me, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just Julie trying to do the job the best I can to stay true to who I am 
And if I start thinking about all that stuff, being the first in the in the booth on a regular basis, I'm going to lose sight of the job I have in front of me. And the only way this is going to succeed is if I get to work, grind every day, prepare the best I can, and then hopefully it's going to translate on game day. And it won't even be a matter if it's the first. It's just going to be, you know, one of the best products we can put out there. And do you, what what will your role be in the in the booth? Do you even know yet or are you still figuring that out? No, you know, that those were big conversations as, as coming into this is how is it going to work to to where it would allow me to really play to my strengths and, and allow me to really, right. again, be who I am and, and continue to do what I'm doing um, and, and make sure that the fans get what they want. So I will be hosting. It's got, it'll be a three man booth. Um, I will be hosting it. I will hire my play by play. I will hire the analyst um, that has to be done sometime soon because what training camp starts right. on Tuesday, we'll see right. the players out here and get up rocking and rolling. So we don't have any time to waste. We're already kind of behind on this. Um, but I have to get it right too. I mean, that is, that's pivotal. Right. I mean, these jobs don't come up often and the franchise is really wants to make sure that this is something that goes forward for the long term in the future. So I want to make sure that, you know, I do my due diligence. And as you know, John, I didn't even know some of the names that are coming to me. I mean, these are my peers, my colleagues, guys that I, I trust and I respect. I'm like, oh, they do play by play. Okay, let's put them in. So the list keeps <laughs> growing. And, you know, you had I'm the sure. easy, I, obvious names, but it, it just keeps growing. And I, I think everybody that's up there needs to be, you know, consider, considered heavily. Um, so I'm going to make sure I take my time, which is which is very hard to come across uh, and, and get yeah, this I right. Say, <laughs> and I, it's, I'm sure you're hearing from a lot of people that, you know, oh, OK. But what, what are you looking for in a play by play mm -hmm. announcer? The thing that I want um, most importantly, and, and I think this just kind of goes to whomever I, I will come across and, and work with, is I want to make sure that that I can trust them and that, um, you know, that there's a respect that's going to be there. You know, you know how long these days are. You know how it can get really hot yeah. at times um, and tempers can get going or things can get difficult and challenging. And so I think in those moments, you need to make sure that you can trust the person so that they, you know, they have your back and you have theirs. So even in those moments where it's challenging and tough, you at least know the common vision of going forward. You know, I want somebody that can help, uh, you know, just join right in with me and it'd be fun conversation naturally, organically, because that's what's going to translate. That's what people are going to buy into. And that's why Dan said, look, this is why we want you. We think you're the perfect person. You can relate to the play-by-play. -play, you can relate to the analyst and you can relate to the fan. And putting all that together is going to be something that's that's more than just bringing you the fan. It's going to be an experience for the fan. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be right there in the conversation throughout the whole thing. We want it to be fun. We want it to make sure that we get the nuts and bolts. You know, I, I joke, I said, we're not reinventing the wheel but we're putting some pretty nice rims on it, you know? Um, so right. it, it's, it's, it's not going to be too far away from what everybody's thinking and expecting, but in that play by play, look, they've, they've got to be good. They've got to be solid. They have to be smart. Um, and they have to be somebody that I can trust and respect. And I have to know that I'll get that back in return. And then, but you're going to hire the entire group too. So you're looking mm -hmm. for an analyst and all that. So that like the old group, we, are they still out or what, where are they, where's that group at? From the, I mean, the, come on. I love Chris Cooley and Doc Walker. Who doesn't, you know, and, and right. they did such a great job on that broadcast. I often put them in and tuned in because they entertained me and they gave me great insight, you know, and you, you saw the work that they put in the ethic into that. So, yeah, you know, look, we're, we're looking at everything. We're looking at everybody. I mean, you, you know, a lot of the names that are right. out there. Um, and, and because because this is something that's kind of new and, and, and different and and because Dan charged me to try and go as far as I can and then say, you know what, if for some reason it doesn't work, that's OK. We'll readjust because sometimes that's what you have to do when you're bringing in a whole new staff and bringing in something new and you want to make sure that's the right thing is, you know, OK, you, you, you swing for it. And, and if you miss say, OK, well, we can push it back this direction. Um, but I've been given that freedom to be able to to try to do that. And, you know, if, if that's what, what he wants, then then I'm going to go. I mean. 
I want also who I who I hire for play by play to have a say also in, in the analysts and have, you know, a, a, make sure that they have a good rapport with them. Right. You know, because it's going to be a three man team um, or a three person team, might I have right. to say, since I am the first for this. Um, you, go. you know, so <laughs> we want it. We really want it to be fun, John. And, and I really want to make sure the game gets out there to the fans um, and that that fun will just translate through the through the airways and through the streaming as well. Last question, Julian. I appreciate your time. I know how busy it's been. And, you know, I don't think people can appreciate you're showing up here and you're smiling. You look fresh. And that is amazing because I know how many calls and things I've had to do the last couple weeks. I don't feel fresh or happy at all. So I give you a lot of credit. So but this is why I think they wanted you on board. Last thing, but this is a new role. So you are in charge of an office now. And, you know, you go from being the studio host and all that. It's a different role in that regard. What what do you feel has prepared you to lead a group? Because you got a pretty good background stuff, but what is what has prepared you to do that? You know, every position that I've been through in life, um, me, I'm I'm somebody who loves to observe because I've always known that I've wanted more leadership. Um, running a business, you know, running a shop is always something I wanted. But I said, okay, do I need to like step back and and go to school for this? Because sadly, you know, this is one of the things that women face in this business too. That goes right along line with the topic of conversation is women get to a point in their business where we're asked the question, okay, what are you going to do next? Because you're going to age out, and that's just absolutely right. it watch my words, but that absolutely yeah. ticks. It ticks me off, John. Yeah. Why do I have yeah. to sit here at a certain age and say, okay, what's next? Because I'm going to get too old for a job. Bull. No, that, that's right. not true at all. So in this role, I get to continue doing, you know, my dream of, of television and doing it well at a level that, you know, I haven't been able to do before. Um, but I've watched managers that have been with me. I have watched the way that they go about their work, you know, and I've always taken little tips from them and how they interact, how they lead, uh, because we know from where we're at, you know, as reporters, you know what makes a good boss. You know what makes a boss right. you feel you can talk to. And you know what makes the boss that you want to try and avoid their office. You know, and that comes right. a hassle. And you're like, oh, you know, it makes it frustrating to go to work. Um, so I've done my due diligence over the years in every place I've been. I've worked in Miami, New York City, Boston proper. Um, I've had some of the best in my life. I have some amazing mentors that I have used in my life countless of times to get through any and every situation that were willing to take that call because I've, I've built and nurtured those relationships and that respect from them. But, you know, I've also gone through, especially when it comes to these women's issues, you know, I haven't had any incident here during my time at the Washington Redskins that would make me go and have to file a complaint, you know, but I want to be sensitive to the women that have those that have experienced that. And right. that probably haven't even spoken up, but maybe will come out later because they don't feel the right. shame anymore and they can feel boldly to come up and say, this is my story and it's going to be heard and it's going to be respected. That will happen. I guarantee you that. Um, but, you know, I've gone through my own personal experiences and while they may be different um, as a victim, uh, you know, and there's always different right. stories as a victim. Uh, I know the anger. I know the shame. I know the frustration. I know the embarrassment. I know the depression. I know every emotion that goes along with that. And I know what it takes to fight over that. Because when I, I spent a year and a half unemployed at one point, John, and, and I remember I was yeah. watching ESPN uh, and, and I was crying and my dad comes into the room. He's like, well, why are you torturing yourself like this? And I said, because it's still my dream. And I don't want to give that up. And so I fought to get it back. And it took a lot of gumption. It took a lot of courage. And it took a lot of people supporting me. I mean, my support system is rock solid. So that's why I know taking this job, understanding the challenges that are going to come up, I know who's in my corner. Because when you go through something difficult, you learn very quickly who your friends are. And, yeah. and I want to make sure that these women that are speaking up, these women that I'll be representing and working for, know that I'm in their corner. So that's what makes me say, I know I can come here and speak with conviction 
and speak with an attitude that says, I'm not just going to be lip service. I'm not taking advantage of an opportunity. Um, this action has to be taken, John. I'm sick and tired of people talking about it and nothing being done because I know what it's like to have that experience that I know what it's like to be a woman that's not respected and kind of tossed aside and not included. I'm tired of not being included because you're the female and you don't fit in. I want to make sure it's inclusive. Julie, that's awesome. I appreciate you joining me and look forward to seeing you soon. I hope it's real soon. I hope we are out it there will be. real soon. So thank you very much, Julie. I really appreciate it. And, you know, thank you for saying I look fresh because I don't think I've managed more than four hours of sleep over the last oh. week or so. So, you yeah, know, I, I'm just riding on a pure adrenaline right now. And, and yeah. there's just so much to be done. Um, I'm trying to get back to everybody that has messaged me, but that's that's a challenge. But it, it just goes to show, you know, again, I, I was very overwhelmed by the support I got. I really, really was. I'm sure um, you and that, There's a responsibility that comes with that. Yeah, a lot well, of people are you, happy, for myself, myself included. And I'm. it would be nice to to continue seeing a very nice face out there. It's just, it's just a pleasant person. And that I just enjoy that. So that's, I'm happy to see that. And it's good. I'm happy for you. Thank you very much yeah, for joining. Well, I, I love that because you know, we all have good friendships and I'm glad I don't have to leave that. So I'll, I'll, see, you, I'll see you around a lot. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, Julie. Thank you to Julie Donaldson for joining me. It's been a whirlwind week for her and I appreciate her time. And thank you to Matt Bowen for hopping on. I'm just sorry it took so long to air. And as always, thank you for listening. We're slowly getting back to football, folks, and I hope we can stay there. It's been quite an off-season to say the least. Talk to you next time.